everyone, welcome to the final episode of Tigers in Translation. Today, we're going to be hosting a conversation between three Princeton students about our relationships with our supposed mother tongue, talking about the experiences and challenges of not necessarily conforming to your assumed linguistic identity. So to start off with, we're going to start with introductions for our three speakers for today. My name is Tanvi. I am a sophomore from Singapore and London. I'm ethnically Indian, and on my mom's side, uh, they speak Hindi, and on my dad's side, they speak Telugu, a Southern Indian language. Um, personally, I am able to understand and speak a little bit of Hindi, but for the most part, I can speak English and I'm fluent in Mandarin. Uh, my name is Caroline, and I am a sophomore from Dallas, Texas. Um, I am half Indian and half Chinese. So on my dad's side, they speak Tamil and Malayalam, and on my mom's side, they speak Mandarin. I can kind of speak and understand Mandarin a little bit, but I can't really speak or understand Tamil or Malayalam. Uh, my main languages are just English, and I took Spanish in high school as well. I'm Annika, and I'm a sophomore from Southern California. I'm also ethnically Indian, and my family on both sides speak Hindi. I grew up speaking up speaking a combination of Hindi and English at home, so um, I can fully understand it, but cannot speak it that well. Um, and I also know a little bit of Spanish from high school. So something that was kind of important and a little confusing to me growing up was how my inability to communicate with my extended family affected my relationship with them. So to talk a little bit about that, I was always really scared to speak Hindi with my extended family on my mom's side because I had a bit of an accent and I definitely didn't sound the way they did and I couldn't speak as quickly as they could. Um, I was also the first person on my mom's side to ever be born outside India and I never really grew up identifying with the culture or doing Indian cultural activities. So for me that was a really big inhibitor in communication. And then on my dad's side I just completely couldn't understand the language and um, found it really difficult to talk to them even though the majority of them actually all of them are fluent in English if they would have conversations in Telugu I wouldn't be able to participate so I would kind of just have to smile and nod and hope that I don't know they weren't talking about me and that I just couldn't really participate so I was wondering if the two of you had similar experiences with that yeah, I can definitely relate to that. I feel like um, like one memory I have just from like, I guess childhood or like even now is just like sitting at a dinner table with my family on either side. And like, if they're having a conversation in Mandarin or in Tamil and it's just like, and like, I'm kind of sitting there like nodding along, like maybe I can, maybe I can understand it, maybe I can't, but it's just like, it's an interesting experience to like be with your own family and like not quite be able to like jump into the conversation. And even if like, I think even if you know the language or you can speak it, it just feels odd when you don't have like this, that confidence in your language abilities. It's sort of like an inhibitor in a way. Yeah, I definitely relate to those feelings, especially on my mom's side, because on my mom's side, um, I'm the only cousin who was born outside of India. Even my sister was born in India. So for me, it was always a challenge, just like being, um, whenever I visited them, being in a space where everyone spoke Hindi fluently and I would like always have stumble, like struggle with things, like not be able to pronounce things. I, there's like one word in Hindi for house that sounds a lot like the word for like poop. And like my accent is so bad that like I always used to mess that up. And I would like always feel like this feeling of, I guess like of shame or embarrassment talking in Hindi with them. So um, I kind of just like, like Tanvi said, I would tend to um, just be quiet, just like smile and nod at the conversation and not really feel like I could fully participate. Yeah, I don't know about you, but I remember like 
um, when I would be with my cousins, they would try to get me to speak or they would tease me into them. It was like very good natured teasing and they would like try to get me to say things and like try to have conversations with me. And it's my like, especially because I was the youngest, like my little brain got so kind of built up such a mental block about speaking Hindi because I was so scared of making a mistake. And I don't know, like that was a really big deal to me. Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. I think like one thing when I whenever I would visit India, my cousins would be like, "Oh, like show us your Tamil, like say like say like can you say like this word, like can you say that word?" I'd be like, "Sometimes I could, most of the time I couldn't." It was just like, and I of course it was like all very good natured and fun, but it um definitely it de- like definitely showed to me just like how little I knew the language, which is which is kind of like um, it was like embarrassing in a way because like this is my own language and I can't like speak it at all, you know. But yeah. I think that, I don't know if you also found this, like Annika, I, maybe you could speak to this, is when you're trying to have a conversation in a language that you're not that comfortable with, it's really difficult to, it's really different to, difficult to speak naturally and you have to really think about what you're going to say or you have to kind of plan the sentences in your head and I don't know if you've had an experience like that. Yeah, I think I have. Um, I think like an important like thing that's very different about those conversations then too is that the things you talk about tend to become very surface level like even when I'm like on the phone with some of my grandparents or my cousins I always like have to stick to like simple things like oh how was your day like have what have you done today and just I don't know just like these very surface level conversations because those are like the only things I know how to say so it's hard to um talk about um like more complicated or deeper ideas yeah, that's so true. I think um, I feel like every conversation I have with my uh, my dad's parents is the same. It's like I say hello, and they say hello, and I say how are you, and then they say good, how are you, and I say I'm good, um, and then I just, like we just, like laugh back and forth a little bit, and then we hang up. So <laughs> it's definitely not the deepest conversation. I remember like one time my my mom um, my mom's mom asked me like what are you majoring in in college, and I like didn't know how to like how to answer that to in the language. And so, yeah, I guess just things like that. It's, it's interesting because I, I just, I feel like it just kind of shows like how language is so important for connecting with family members or even with just like connecting in general. Like it's truly the base of how, um, yeah, how we interact with people. Um, Caroline, yeah, I also really resonated with what you were saying because I haven't even really thought fully about this yet, but not being able to share a primary form of communication with your family really inhibits your ability to talk to them about anything deeper than what the weather is like or what food you're eating or how your day was and I think is really a missed opportunity at least for me it was a missed opportunity because I never really got to connect with my grandparents and I don't know everything I know about them is filtered through this lens of what my parents have told me and almost like this also this lens of like translation is they all can speak English, but the language that they're most comfortable in and the language that I'm most comfortable in don't align. So there's always this kind of barrier to communication and this barrier to openness and transparency. So I've never really, everything I know is through my parents and through that like translation lens of my parents. And honestly, for me, it was also kind of another layer was that I really shied away from developing a relationship with Hindi and with um, my family by extension, just because of where I grew up. And that really did kind of shape my initial reaction to um, like my initial relationship with Hindi and not necessarily Telugu, just because I've never been able to speak it. But because I grew up in London, I 
was very much immersed in British culture. I went to a very British, very white school and I really just wanted to fit in. Like I really, just like growing up outside of India, like having no tangible connections to them and also being surrounded by an incredibly homogenous community. I really wanted to fit in. Like I wanted to eat the same food. I wanted to um, have share the same culture. I wanted to celebrate the same holidays. And like, most importantly, I didn't want to develop bilingualism. Like I wanted to just be like, I mean, naturally growing up there, like I did develop like, a British accent and I did you know I was born there like it was my first culture but it I kind of put this block on this is the only culture I can have and it was really interesting because like at school we'd learn like a lot of schools in the UK are Catholic so there'd be like we would sing hymns and we would do things like that and then I would go home and have a completely different culture and it was very disconcerting for me at the age of five and I definitely initially rejected any aspect of my Indian culture especially the language like I would refuse to speak to my mom in Hindi if we were outside like I would exclusively kind of like we would exclusively talk in English and I I don't know like I think that was like maybe I was ashamed of it in a little way and I don't know if either of you kind of shared that growing up especially growing up outside of the countries where your extended family was or where your languages are kind of based. Yeah, Tanvi, I feel like you just unlocked a memory for me. Um, I also went to a pretty, like, culturally homogenous high school. Like I said, I'm from Dallas, Texas, so it's very, um, in the South, like, not a lot of people from other cultures or people speaking different languages there. Um, and my, actually, my, I feel like my main experience with other languages or with languages other than English in my high school experience was... Um, so my school had a boarding department and the majority of boarders there were from China. And so of course they all spoke Mandarin fluently. And so um, they would always be like in school, they would be speaking Mandarin to each other. It was sort of like, a, um, they, they were like one kind of one friend group who like all spoke Mandarin all the time. And so like, even there, I couldn't really find like an in there. Uh, I re couldn't really find an in with them either. And so um, it was just sort of, sort of an interesting experience being between like English on one hand and Mandarin on the other hand, but like a Mandarin that I couldn't really access, if that makes sense. So it which definitely made me feel like less confident in my Mandarin speaking abilities and also just like want to revert to English even more since I was like the norm in my school, um, the only language I felt comfortable with. And so I definitely agree with parts of that. So I didn't grow up in, um, I guess I didn't go to a school that was like as homogenous. So I think for me, it was like, I never really like felt this sort of pressure to fit in. Um, there, there definitely weren't um, any like age, there weren't that many Asians and there weren't any other Indians where I was growing up. So um, I guess like I was usually always the person who was seen as like, I am like, I guess the representative of, um, of Indian people at my school, which I always did have an issue with because um, I personally like, especially growing up, didn't feel as connected with that part of my identity. So I think like being that person who was like supposed to know Hindi, who was like supposed to be the representative of my culture was hard. Like I have this specific memory um, from like eighth grade Spanish class where we were talking about like different languages we knew. And I remember my, um, my Spanish teacher asking me to, to be like, oh, like you, um, you're Indian. Like, do you know any other languages? Like, could you like say something in a different language? So I think I just like muddled through like a few random like phrases I knew in Hindi and like I said them horribly and like with this terrible accent, but like no one knew the difference. So to me, I I always like I kind of always felt secure in the idea that um that like other people perceived me that way. Wait, that's so interesting to hear you talk about that because I think 
for me, when I moved to Singapore and also when I moved schools when I was 11, I went from a very homogenous community, almost like drastically, to a very diverse community where cultures were kind of celebrated. And that was a very eye-opening experience for me. And honestly, like one of the first times I really started to um, kind of more, like it was kind of the start of where I started to embrace Hindi and like my Indian culture a little more and um, for me it was a really big deal because I also kind of just started to accept parts of myself as well like the color of my skin, um, my name, like the fact that I'm not ever going to have a name that's on a keychain that you can buy in a gift store and um, things like that and I think for me that was a really big deal and but I also did kind of get the sense of people would try and compartmentalize me into one culture which was very interesting in the sense of they'd be like oh well you can't be Indian and British and I was like well like I I just feel really uncomfortable calling myself Indian sometimes because yes I'm ethnically Indian but do I identify with the culture do I celebrate the traditions am I able to speak any of the languages that are present in the country not necessarily but then I would also get really uncomfortable calling myself British because it felt like I was ignoring a part of my identity. And for me, there was a lot of social pressure to kind of compartmentalize where I stood culturally, which I also think sometimes happens linguistically when people kind of, if you say like, yeah, I speak a little bit of Hindi, I still don't feel like I have ownership over the language. And I think bilingualism is something that as a social construct, it comes from like, you feel like you need to have achieved some level to say that you're bilingual in a language or you need some kind of like external validation to say that you're bilingual where I'm not sure I don't know if I will ever feel like I have ownership over the language but I'm not sure kind of I'm growing into this mindset of I don't necessarily need that external validation anymore to make me feel connected to a language and make me feel like I have ownership over it but I don't know Caroline what do you think? Yeah, I definitely agree with that, um, with what you said. And I feel like this whole idea of how our relationships with our cultures and our relationships with our languages have changed over time is like a really um, interesting question. I think for me, I guess I had a bit of a, a strange like progression, that kind of thing. Um, so uh, when I was like growing up, like I, when, probably in like middle school-ish, like I really want, I was like very, very much wanting to emphasize my, the fact that I like did know, Chi did know Mandarin, like I could speak that a little bit, just because like, I feel like when people look at me, they don't, they don't usually think like, oh, she's like part Chinese or like, or I, I don't know like what they think, but I feel like I felt a need to sort of overemphasize, overemphasize that part of myself. I, and I would try to like walk around and like, speak Chinese like on the street just like make like I just want people to know that like um or I would like try to use the language as a way to like show that like this is like who I am a little bit and then um as I was like getting older and like I, like I said like in high school very homogenous I would try I was just trying to like hide both my Mandarin ability and like whatever Tumblr Malayalam I, um, ability I had just to try and like fit in more. Um, and I think coming to Princeton has been like really interesting, kind of like how what you and Annika said earlier, just like being in a more diverse environment environment really helps to sort of make you feel or make me feel more comfortable, like talking about my um, language identity and just like using my language more. Um, I definitely feel like just more, um, just like seeing everyone being so confident in, in their cultures and their languages makes me feel a lot better about like wanting to connect with my languages more and wanting to talk about my culture more. So I think it's been a really good a positive development at 
um, with coming to Princeton. But yeah, what do you think, Annika? Yeah, I definitely agree. And I guess just coming back to Tanvi's point about bilingualism and what it means to take owner and at what stage can you call yourself fluent with the language is super interesting. Because for me, that's been very context dependent, like in situations where like there aren't a lot of Indian people around, um, where like I'm the one who's kind of like the representative of that language, I tend to feel more confident. But especially coming to Princeton, um, because like I said, my high school didn't have that many Indian people. And um, that's so coming to Princeton and meeting people who share my heritage had initially became a little, I guess, more stressful for me because um, I personally like never went to any sort of like cultural school or like language um, or like Hindi language thing growing up. So I'm um, just meeting people who have like also grown up in America, but have far better command of Hindi than I do was stressful for me. Um, yeah, I totally agree with what you're saying. I think it's really interesting that we both had kind of similar experiences coming to Princeton. Because I think growing up in Singapore, I was surrounded by a lot of international students who kind of had this same shared third culture kid type identity. And we all kind of identified with the third culture kid um, stereotype and the identity. So it was really interesting coming to Princeton and having, I don't know, just being confronted with another aspect of my identity, which was that I was an international student and that I was expected to have my linguistic background was a little less understood, like it was a little less common for a British Indian girl to be speaking Mandarin fluently. And that was another aspect that I kind of had to confront when I came to Princeton because it was it's definitely a lot more common here. Um, and that was really interesting to learn about. And it was also, I think, a lot of other other Indian people that I've encountered in Singapore, like my friends are, um, kind of also share the same alienation from Hindi and from India. And it was really interesting to come to Princeton and meet so many people who did grow up in the US but have a closer connection to the country and to the language like you talked about and to the culture. And I think that was definitely really odd. Yeah, I definitely agree with like what you said about just coming to Princeton and like having that sort of duality between like feeling more confident but also feeling less confident in a way. Like, I think for me, like there, like, there are not a lot of like half Indian half Chinese people like so there clearly is not going to be like a half like so like so, so, there's not like there aren't any cultural organizations that are just for me um and for like my specific like mix of cultures and languages and I guess I could join like the Chinese Student Association or like the any of the Indian students groups on campus but because I feel like I feel identify pretty strongly pretty strongly with being biracial I feel like I don't quite fit in with like any of those groups and so that's in in that way it's been a little bit hard just because it's like a little bit alienating to not when so many people are having that cultural space and like you're not but on the other hand it's also made me like more proud of like my cultural heritage like not to be like oh I'm so unique but like it does it has made me realize that it, it is like pretty special that I have this like mix of cultures and I like makes me want to embrace that culture and like learn the language even more just so I can like really connect to it because it is something that's pretty um special to me a weird kind of symbol of the way my relationship with my with language has kind of changed with my name so um growing up like in the British system like everyone would call me Tanvi which was fine like that's kind of how I grew up um and the correct pronunciation of my name is actually like Thunby but to me that's a very personal identifier for my parents talking to me and even though it is technically the correct standard pronunciation I um for me it's a very personal identifier of my family and my parents when they talk to me and 
Um, so yeah, like I go around introducing myself as Tanvi. I never really have expectations for people to pronounce my name correctly. But coming to Princeton, I got so many questions about why I didn't pronounce my name correctly. And for me, that was a really difficult and kind of confusing experience. And it showed me how within this like language identity, I've developed my own understanding of culture and my own understanding of language. Yeah, I think it's really interesting that you brought up the whole thing about um, like names and changing of names. Um, so, so like I go by Caroline, but my real name is actually Chen Chen, which is in um, which is Mandarin. And I started going by Caroline like in first grade, just because like it was no one could pronounce Chen Chen. Like I got a lot of questions about it. It was just very difficult to like, you know, deal with that. Um, and yes, and then, and like when I was in high school, like everyone knew like I, my real name was Chen Chen and like, but I went by Caroline and it, was, and it was also sort of an indicator of like my cultural identity and all of that. But especially like coming to Princeton, like sometimes it would show, show, show up in my email or like people would, like the teacher would say it in class and people would always ask like, oh, like, who is that? Like, what, like, why is that also your name? And I have to explain it. And then there's all, and then there's a question of like, oh, why don't you use like your real name? Like if like, if Caroline isn't even in like your legal name. Um, so I've also had to like, kind of like question that a little bit and be like, why am I using like this American name that like doesn't really have any bearing on like, you know, my parents didn't pick it for me when I was born. It's not like my name name, but I think just like, I've had to like come to terms with like, it, maybe it's not like the most cultural thing for me, but it is like the name that I go by. And like, I identify a lot more with that than I do with Chen Chien. So yeah, I think it's interesting we both thought about names like that. Yeah, I, d I can definitely relate to that point um, about names. Like I personally had an experience very similar to Tanvi's where, um, where my parents have always called me Anika, like that's the correct pronunciation of my name. But um, whenever I was in situations outside of my family and talking to friends or at school, I would always be Annika. And um, that was never really an issue for me, mainly because like no one noticed. Um, but coming to Princeton um, and meeting a lot of um, people who are Indian, um, I found myself in a, a similar position, I guess, like having to defend my um, having to defend my pronunciation of my name. And I think um, I have like started to consider more and more the idea of like of starting to introduce myself as Anika just as kind of like, just because I'm, I am starting to think like I shouldn't maybe have su su such clear of a compartmentalization between my Indianness at home and um, how I present myself outside of that. So to me, I think that's just like a really, a really like clear indicator of how our relationships with language change over time. Like even now we're like all college students and we're still noticing these changes and um, how, how we identify with our native languages and how we identify with our culture. And I think um, one of the things that we've learned from just doing this podcast and um, over the course of the season is that people's relationships with language, with languages are always changing. And um, it's something that we will continue to struggle with for a long time. Tigers in Translation is supported by the Rapid Response Magic Project of the Princeton University Humanities Council. Please subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Do you have a story you want to share? You can reach our team at tigersintranslation at gmail.com. Our production team includes Amanda Bond, Tyler Bennett, Londi Hernandez, Mariam Camel, Annika Mascara, and Tanvi Nabonapati. Our faculty advisor is Dr. Sean Gonzalez. Thanks for listening.